We've been working through this letter that Paul wrote to this church in Ephesus. It was a region in modern-day Turkey, and there were many churches that grew in the surrounding region thanks to the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And years later, he wrote back this letter to this group of churches gathered in and around the city of Ephesus, which was also extended into the region beyond. And so we've been working through this letter for a while, recognizing that God also speaks to us through it. We are also a church needing a reminder of who God is and what he has done. And that's exactly what Paul was reminding this church. And so we receive it and are reminded of the very same things. We are jumping into uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to the end of the chapter. And we'll probably just cover uh, the first part of this chapter as I I'm looking at my notes this week and said, you know, I think, I think that's, a, that's a lot to bite off. Maybe we'll jump in and finish this chapter next week, Lord willing. But follow along with me if you have your Bibles and devices. Paul writes, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God. By the Spirit. Some powerful words. I know if you looked at my sermon title or you're noticing it there, uh, we we wrestled with this this week. Uh, This is a a long-standing theme uh, for for the church, for the Christian church, a church with no walls. There's been books written by this title, and I posed this this title to Catherine, and she said, nah, maybe change it. Because it seems like the mere mention of walls, either building or tearing down, uh, takes us sometimes to a political place uh, these days, and maybe just avoid it all together, except we can't avoid it if we just heard what was written by Paul as he talks about the one who has come to break down the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus is the wall breaker. So if the tension rises, I'm just going to put you at ease. We can all relax. Paul did not mean for this at all to be a political statement or preaching. Uh, For him, it was merely a racial issue. 
So we can all just take a deep breath and relax. There's no tension involved here at all. I suppose if any time a preacher gets up to preach and is concerned that this could increase passion and in some, irritation in others, uh, we would be reminded well of Paul, uh, who didn't shy away from any of those uh, times. In fact, the passion stirred by his preaching and the irritation brought on uh, was consistent in Paul's life. He faced much persecution. He did not back down from it. In fact, this message specifically is one of his most uh, repeated messages in every one of his letters, which you have to then believe he constantly was preaching in every one of the cities that he preached, and he was willing to die for this message to not shy away from it, and it is this, that we are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all one. The walls have been broken down. He proclaims it again and again. Here's just a sampling. We'll run through them fairly quick. The references are on the screen, uh, but you can hear them and then go to them if you want to cross-check those. Uh, These are all Paul's writings. So hear this consistent theme. We just heard one from Ephesians. In his letter to the Galatian church, chapter 3, verse 28, he says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is not even male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, Paul says this, Here, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. In his letter to the Romans, Romans 10, verse 12 and following, Paul says, There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. In his letter to the Corinthian church, the first one that we have in our scriptures, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and following. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Are you getting the idea? This is kind of important to Paul, kind of a central theme of his teaching. In fact, I would say crucial. That word crucial literally means, it's the Latin from of the cross. It is a crucial message for Paul. In fact, for Paul... I wouldn't say this is just a part of the gospel, but this is the gospel. Jesus has come to break down all dividing walls between people and God. That all might access him, might come to God through Jesus. This is the gospel for Paul. He'll expand on this theme in chapter 3. And I want to read this passage from Ephesians 3, but I want to replace the word Gentile. Now, for those that maybe grew up in the church, that, that might sound like a familiar word or term. And for others, maybe you've never heard it. I'm not sure actually why we still use this word in almost every one of our English translations of the Bible. It's a Latin word, gentilis, meaning family, race, clan. The actual Greek word is a word that you will probably be more familiar with. It's ethnos, where we would get the English word ethnic. 
And I think that would actually capture better, at least in our understanding, what Paul was after and what he was preaching. I'm going to to replace Gentiles with ethnos, but by saying all peoples is what Paul was intending. All peoples. The distinction between those that have Jewish heritage and all others, the ethnic ones. And that would be almost every one of us in this room who do not have a direct Jewish lineage. Paul is addressing each one of us ethnos. So I'm going to say all peoples, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. That's what Paul intended. It's very clear that that's the distinction. He says it here. We heard it in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles, you ethne in the flesh, you were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. That was a distinguishing mark for the Jewish people. So remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, you ethnic ones. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were not one with them. You were strangers even to the covenants of the promise. One, you were probably unaware completely of God's covenantal promises, but you were strangers in the sense that they were not applied to you. So that's the distinction Paul is making. So now here, Ephesians 3, verse 4 and following, and hear how crucial, central this is to the gospel that Paul proclaims. It is the gospel. And I will replace Gentile with all peoples, every tribe, tongue, and nation. Ephesians 3, verse 4 and following. When you read this, Remember, he's writing this letter. When you read this letter, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. This mystery was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery, here it is. This mystery is that all peoples, every tribe, every tongue, every nation are fellow heirs members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to all peoples, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, the unsearchable riches of Christ, And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery that was hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is the gospel for Paul. That we are all one in Christ Jesus. We have all been reconciled to God and therefore to one another. There is no preference. There is no rank. There is no status. There is no class that moves us up the ladder or closer to God. As the Puritans used to proclaim, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Through Jesus, we are all made one. And this is the mystery that has now been revealed because for ages, it didn't appear to be that way. Right? The, the Jewish people had the fast track to God. They were his chosen people and, and they knew it and then they abused it. They took it as simply their right. And Paul is breaking that down. And Paul has the greatest claim to be able to break that division down because he himself 
was one of the greatest Jewish leaders, religious zealots known to the early church. He was persecuting the followers of Christ for being blasphemers and celebrating even their suffering and death to destroy the church, the early church. And Jesus got a hold of his life and transformed him. And now he became the foremost preacher that all peoples are called and reconciled to God the Father. Regardless of race, status, heritage, rank, none of it matters. What matters is Jesus alone. And this is the unsearchable riches of God's grace that is now being revealed to all peoples. And so he says to all the ethnic ones, which again would be most of us in this room, to you, you who once were far off, you were without hope. Anyone know what that feels like? To be hopeless. You were separated from God. No matter what you you did to try to draw close to him, it felt like there was a barrier, a wall. He says, remember this. This is who you were, but it is no longer. Because God, in his great mercy, has brought you near in Christ. By his initiative, by his prerogative, you who once were alienated, excluded, separated, without hope, you have now been brought near to be recipients of his grace, mercy, promises, and power to be co-heirs with Jesus. How incredible is that? If you do, by the way, have Jewish heritage and lineage, this is your gospel also. This is the truth for you in Christ and all others also. To use maybe language, more modern terms that we might use, You were the orphans. You were the refugees. You were the alienated ones. You were told by the world that you were shameful, pitiful, unlovable, that you did not belong. You were told that there was a wall between you and God that was unclimbable, impassable, and unbreakable. But no, in Christ, because of the blood, you who once were far off have been brought near, redeemed, reconciled. You who once longed to know peace, lived your life without peace, have now come to know it because of Christ. He is your peace. He has torn up your earthly citizenship and given you a brand new citizenship, a new document, an eternal one in heaven. How incredible is that picture? We're following along this journey with our, with our dear friends, the Smiths, who find themselves in Harare, Zimbabwe. Their ministry has shifted. God has opened up some incredible doors for them to begin what they're calling a farm hub initiative to multiply resources, develop jobs, and alleviate poverty and hunger, they pray, throughout Africa. And God is opening doors in a way that is just staggering them. So their ministry of how they've been sent is taking a shift as they've now started a new business and they need a new visa because they were brought in to the country under a visa to support the local church. They are still supporting the local church, by the way, but that primary mission has turned and so they need a new visa. And what they're being told by immigration is, we don't know if we want you here. We don't know if we trust you. Your citizenship is not valid here. 
And so they are being reminded the hard way of where their greatest citizenship is. It's not in any earthly country or place. It is in heaven alone. And by the way, the God of heaven alone can move the hearts of men. That the heart of a king is like a stream in his hands. And he can turn it where he wills. And so they have been promised 30 more days before the immigration official can come and officially give them a new three-year visa, which would be unprecedented. And so we both thank God and pray for that fulfillment of that call. But what a reminder of where our ultimate citizenship is. It's one of heaven. And the picture that we have, which I hope to preach on more next week, is from Revelation 7. The picture of heaven, where every tribe, tongue, and nation, distinct but not divided, is gathered around the throne proclaiming Jesus King. I believe in every language, though we all hear it rightly. How beautiful and awesome will that be? And if that's a picture of heaven, and we look at our world and our earth and say it is nowhere near that today, there's nothing but division, we are told to pray, Jesus tells us to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And you've given us a glimpse of heaven. So may it be, Lord. That's our work. That's our ministry. May it be. May I leave that till next week. Because I want to focus in on a couple walls. When, when, when Paul says, Jesus has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, verse 14, what does he mean? Our world clearly has so many walls, political, national, geographical, racial, racial, cultural, economical, social, and on and on. It's nothing new. Which ones did Jesus come to break down? Everyone. To abolish, to nullify all division. What did Paul have in mind when he was speaking to the Ephesian church, contrasting to the Jewish heritage? I think a couple things. I think a couple, a couple walls. Let us consider just two of them this morning, and then I'll leave that third, the wall dividing peoples, till next week. The two that I want to consider this morning are the walls that divide people from God. The first is a veil, a physical and yet spiritual wall. For the Jewish people, the temple was the center of their worship. And inside of that temple was a holy place and a most holy place. And the holy place was divided from the most holy place, the holy of holies, by a veil. That, that word doesn't even, if you've, it doesn't even capture what it was. It was a 30 foot high and 30 foot wide, four inch thick, hand woven curtain. I mean, it was, light would not pass through it. It was heavy and weighty and divided. It may as well have been a wall. And that wall divided the outer courts, which the priests alone could come in and minister in from the Holy of Holies, and behind that veil, that curtain, was the Ark of the Covenant, a reminder of God's promises. Inside of that Ark was the stone tablets, Moses' stone tablets of the law, was the staff that Aaron, the first high priest, had that had budded. And these are 
testimonies through the Old Testament story of God's people and his redemption out of Egypt. And it was a jar of manna that God preserved, reminding God's people of his provision. These were his promises and provision, his word to them, the law. His provision for them, the manna. His power for them, the staff that had budded. That's what was in this ark, this case, this trunk. It's a little, more, a little fancier than a trunk, but it was there, and it was in the Holy of Holies. Well, on top of that, that ark was a carved-out seat, a place. And there were cherubim with these big wings spread out across the top of this case. And when they built that first tabernacle at God's direction in the wilderness, the cloud that had been guiding them and leading them, representing the presence of God, descended upon that tabernacle, upon that tent. And it rested, uh, just try to get this in your mind's eye, it is fantastic, it rested upon that seat, they called it, and they called it the mercy seat. God's glory, his presence rested there. And God's glory was so holy and so powerful that none could be within his presence and live. And so the veil, the curtain was put in place so that God would dwell and clearly dwell with his people. So they knew he was with them. And yet they were protected by the veil because of their own sin. They could not enter into the holiest of holy places. The high priest, there was one high priest that began with Aaron, the brother of Moses. He alone could enter into that holy of holies. But only one day a year, on the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, he would enter into that holy of holies through the veil with the blood of a a bull and the blood of a goat. Sacrifices for the sins, his own personal sins, the blood of the bull, and the sins of all people, representative of all Israel, was the blood of the goat. And he would bring that blood in. That represented life. Blood represents life. By the way, if you have no blood, you have no life. So representing the life that was given, he comes in to seek the mercy and forgiveness of God, to reconcile relationship. He takes that blood and he sprinkles it on the top of that seat where God's presence was and on the sides of the ark and before the ark of the covenant. This is kind of a messy picture, but life and forgiveness, grace and mercy is a messy thing, and it's costly. And he would sprinkle that blood on seeking the mercy of God, and God promised to cleanse the sins of all peoples who came trusting the sacrifice. Instead of his life being forfeit, he was saved by the blood of the Lamb. He was spared by the blood. And that imagery and that picture, now you have that in mind a little bit. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing something like this. Maybe it's familiar and it's just bringing up more images and pictures for you. But you get that in mind. And now in your mind, see Jesus hanging on the cross. I assume that, that there's various pictures that come to mind, whether it's Mel Gibson's passion or, or, or something else, a very gruesome picture. But Jesus hanging upon the cross, and the blood dripping from the thorns in his brow, the blood coming from the top and the sides where he's been beaten and pierced. And you see him just as the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, and the blood dripping on that case. Jesus is there 
to be the Savior of the world, to be the final sacrifice. Just as, by the way, the blood of the Passover that was put on the beam of the doorpost and down its sides, Jesus is our Passover lamb as well. In fact, everything that God prescribed for his people was a foreshadow of what would be fulfilled in Jesus. He was willing to take a thousand years to ingrain it into people's minds that when they saw Jesus, they would see the fulfillment of all the promises of God's covenantal promises to save, rescue, deliver, and empower, and dwell with his people for all time. So you see Jesus doing my best to paint this picture for you. And in Matthew 27, verse 50, this is the moment of Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit, and behold... The curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. I remember growing up reading this passage or hearing it and just not even comprehending what that meant. The 30 foot high, 30 foot wide, 4 inch thick, hand woven, heavy veil wall between the inner court and the holy of holies of the temple is torn in two from top to bottom. Maybe if you had 30 men on each side pulling from the bottom, you could maybe begin to tear it. Maybe you'd have to cut the middle just to get it going. How could a curtain of that size possibly tear from top to bottom? Do not see as if two hands reached down from heaven and took the corners and rent it apart. And the veil is torn. The dividing wall between all peoples, all peoples, Jewish ones as well could not enter into the full presence of God without fear of their own life. It is torn. It is open for all peoples. This is what the author of Hebrews proclaims that we would see at Hebrews chapter 9 verse 11. But when Christ appeared, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption. Jesus is not only the high priest who mediates, he is the final sacrifice by his own blood once for all so that we can all approach God freely with confidence. All peoples, not only Jews, all ethnic groups, every tribe, tongue, nation, the veil, the dividing wall has been torn down. Hebrews 10, verse 19 and following. Therefore, brothers and sisters... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, that statement would have been unfathomable. We have confidence to walk through that veil, to walk into the holy of holies. There was only fear and division before. We now have confidence to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for all of us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean as the blood would be sprinkled on that mercy seat. Now our hearts are sprinkled clean 
from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Paul said this maybe a bit more succinctly in Ephesians chapter 2 and then again in chapter 3 in 2 verse 18. He said, for through Jesus we all have access in one spirit to the Father. And he says again in verse, uh, chapter 3 verse 11, according to the eternal purpose in Christ Jesus our Lord, we now have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him to the Father. Wall number one, the veil. The curtain, torn, abolished, destroyed. We have been reconciled to God through Jesus. How do we enter in? That that temple is no more, right? Paul will say in this very chapter, you're the temple. The church, God's people is where he dwells now. So we enter in by faith and faith alone. Because of his grace. We believe the promises. We receive what has been done. And we approach his throne with freedom and confidence. As we come to the table this morning in a few moments, as you come, see yourself approaching the holy of holies. Now this this place, this table, these elements are not more holy. We've been freed of a religious system, but they are very symbolic and powerful. As we draw near, see yourself drawing near like the priest that you've been called to be. As the high priest would lay his hand upon the head of that animal and slit its throat that the blood would flow, that his life would be in place, replaced. We come to these elements and say, Jesus, I reach out the hand of my heart to you. And once again, receive your life in my place. That transaction has been finished. It is done. So we approach confidently. It is possible to come confidently and humbly. We may not come arrogantly as if it had anything to do with us. We come because of his grace and mercy and he beckons us, come. The second wall, didn't check the clock last week, apologies, checking it now. I think we can get there. Hang with me. The second wall is the wall of the law. While the first, this veil, was an actual physical material thing, but with significant spiritual connotations, the wall of the law was a religious and ethical wall, a barrier. Just as Jesus fulfilled the sacrificial requirements by being the sacrifice, Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial requirements of what it meant to be a set-apart one, one of God's chosen people with Jewish heritage. Whereas no Jew could fulfill the religious requirements, the ceremonial regulations perfectly, which is why they needed to continue to bring the blood year after year, Jesus lived without blemish. He perfectly fulfilled it all. So therefore, he could be the, the one true final sacrifice. Some of the most significantly um, distinctive and therefore maybe divisive ceremonial regulations, what set the Jews apart, their dietary restrictions, their Sabbath regulations and how they worked and then how they rested. Jesus fulfilled their ceremonial cleanliness and all of those requirements 
But according to Paul, maybe the most significant one, the one he calls out again and again, is circumcision. This outward external mark that was upon them. That they were cut and bled to be set apart for God. Jesus fulfilled that one too. Praise God. He says, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one. He's broken down the dividing wall of hostility. This is verse 15 of chapter 2. By abolishing, that word means to nullify. It nullified the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, which means one new family in place of the two, because there were Jews and then all other others. He is now making one new family in himself to make peace, that all peoples would be at peace with one another and with God, that he might reconcile us to God through his body and the cross, putting to death, killing the hostility. The hostility of it is us and it is you. There is none of that. It has been broken. It has been abolished and nullified, rendered void. It is unbinding. The transaction that had been in place has now been rewritten and re-signed in the blood of Jesus. Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. He has fulfilled the law. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law in a way that it was not important, but to fulfill it, to complete it, to answer it all. I've done that in myself, that you are now free of the law and its religious requirements. No more religious striving. No more division. Yes, distinction. God loves diversity and beauty. We are distinct. That picture of heaven, there is still distinction. Praise God. But there is no division. And that's what we long for and work for. And I said I would hold off, so I will. Before Jesus, even the most perfect adherence to the ceremonial law fell short. As I mentioned, Paul, if anyone had right to kind of brag and boast about his heritage, his position, and then how hard he worked, harder than anyone else, it was Paul. And Paul kind of gets going in his letter to the Philippians in in chapter 3, verse 4. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, in the external things, it's, it's me. I, I have more, actually. I was circumcised on the eighth day, that was prescribed by the law, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. My heritage, my lineage is perfect. It is untarnished. I can trace it back all the way to Saul. Oh, by the way, I'm named after him, by the way, Saul. It is perfect as to zeal. Now, that's just my heritage. Great. I mean, I've, God clearly favored me. I didn't do anything about that. Now, I added to that zeal unmatched. As to my zeal, I persecuted the church. I did did more than anyone else. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. And Paul himself wouldn't have said I was sinless, but he's like, I never failed to fulfill the ceremonial requirements of cleanliness and to bring the sacrifices at their appointed time. Blameless according to the law. But, but, Whatever gain I had, what I used to brag about, what I used to count as making me worthy and better, I, have now, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. 
That wasn't strong enough, so he goes on. Indeed, I count everything as loss, except for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. That word to rightly be translated would offend most of us in this room. How could Paul possibly use that? So we've come up with rubbish. Maybe your translation says filth, refuse. That's still too tame. Don't, don't spend too long going to what you think that could be, but it is significant. Everything that he previously boasted about that made him who he was, that set him above others, he says, that's repulsive to me because I've received the gospel of grace because my eyes have been opened. And I consider that repulsive that I could have ever believed that that set me apart. I was loved so deeply by Jesus. He pursued after me to truly open my eyes. And now my only hope is that I might know him more and more and give my life for him because he gave it for me. The context of that most passionate, it must have been, it must have been tear-filled as well. The context of that is the beginning of chapter 3 when he says, watch out for those dogs. Look out for these evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He is talking about his people, the Jewish religious elite. Watch out for them. I was one of them. But we are the circumcision. We who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the external things. See, the Jews, and we cannot possibly pick on the Jewish people. We have all done the same thing. The Western evangelical church has been doing this for centuries. We are no different. We can put far too much stock and weight into external actions and religious behaviors. Lord, forgive us where we have the external, the heritage, our flesh, any religious devotion. From the beginning, God established his people to be distinct I guess you could look at it as needing the grace and mercy and love and pursuit of God more than anyone on the planet. And so we who find ourselves in that same heritage, now the ethnic ones, Jesus, if you have been pursuing me like this, reminding me of your mercy and your grace and your love and still inviting me into your presence, still giving me a purpose in this life, I must need your grace and mercy more deeply than anyone on this planet. And that's exactly what Paul says. But from the beginning, it wasn't about the external. It was always about the heart. In the, in the book of Deuteronomy, this is the premier law book, Deuteronomy 10, verse 16. Moses writes God's words, and God says, Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart. A little graphic language. God's not afraid of graphic language either. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and no longer be stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who is not partial. And he takes no bribe. 
It has always been about the heart. The external things are to remind us of what he's doing and has done and wants to do in us. For that's who we are. That's our identity. And he came to redeem it and reclaim it. So the external things remind us. Just as externally we come and receive a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice from the vine. Unfermented, by the way. It's an external thing. This makes us not more holy. It's what God is doing within us as we come with our heart, and we say, Lord, cut us to our heart. Jeremiah would say the same thing. He picked up on this same theme. Jeremiah 4, 4, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts. Chapter 9, verse 25, this is God speaking. Behold, the days are coming when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. That's not what he's after. For all these nations, and he lists Egypt, Judah, Edom, the sons of Ammon, Moab, all who dwell in the desert, basically could have said all ethnic peoples, none who are externally circumcised. For all of these nations that are uncircumcised, I will judge, but I will also judge the house of Israel who is uncircumcised in heart. These people know me with their lips and their external actions, but their hearts are far from me. Paul picks up the very same theme, Romans 2, chapter 28. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Praise God. This wall of division, all the external things, all the religious actions and behaviors mean nothing in the sight of God. They do not draw you closer to him. They cannot make him love you more. It has been nullified by Jesus who has fulfilled all the law. We come to him by grace and mercy alone. Everyone is now invited. Everyone. So in all of this, hear this. Even if so much of this is feeling like it's right over here. (laughs) Hear this. Here's what it means. God deeply desires, God the Father desires to adopt into his family all peoples. To redeem, to bring them back to himself to give you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms through Christ Jesus. All peoples. This does not ma- it does not matter who you are or who you aren't. Your heritage or your history. What you know or do not know. What you've done or have not done. How hard you have pursued after God. How hard you have been striving to be good, to be better, or how hard you've run away from him and rebelled against him. It does not matter. And this is why we can sing of his love being reckless. There is no wall he will not break down coming after you. No lie he won't tear down. For whatever lies you have believed from the enemy that you are not good enough, you are separated, you cannot do enough, you could not be loved, you are unworthy. All lies from the enemy of God's truth. So hear the truth. 
You are loved deeply. And you are here in this moment of time, in this place. And for some of you, more than others, you're shaking your head going, I don't even know why I am here this morning. I think it's becoming clear. For the rest of us, we join with the Ephesian church needing that reminder. Needing to be reminded once again how incredible our God is. Who he is, what he's done throughout history writing the same story that will one day finally be complete. And so we respond to him as we come. We come with access to the Holy Father through one spirit, everyone invited. If you're not a regular part of of, of our church, you're a guest with us, hopefully now feeling a part of family, we celebrate this communion meal every Sunday. It reminds us of what Jesus did with his disciples the night before he was crucified. He broke bread and said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat me in you that you might have life. And this is my blood of the new covenant. He took a cup of wine and shared it amongst them. I will shed my blood that you might have life. Now imagine this. This is before he went to the cross. They received because they loved Jesus. He was their friend and he was their master. But they had no true idea of what he was about to do. So if you're saying, how could I possibly come and receive a communion meal, this bread and this cup? I know nothing. You're in good company. If your desire is to move toward Jesus. Jesus, you are drawing me clearly, and there's so much I don't know, but I love grace and mercy and the thought that you have loved and pursued me. I'm coming towards you. The table is open for you. And so I pray that you would respond as you feel led, as we sing to him. We create space to respond to his words. So I invite Catherine and the team to come and help us create that space As we said, with so many things to be thankful for and grateful for and new seasons and God's moving, for some of you, standing and singing with arms open is going to be relatively easy to other seasons in life, and you just want to belt it out. For others, you cannot even imagine standing with arms open and proclaiming what these promises will be in word, because there's hurt and pain and hardship. For others, God is working in your life, in your spirit, in your soul, and bringing some things together that are yet to be complete. And it's okay. Receive the singing of others. Receive these words. Pray whatever you would pray in your heart and in your mind. If you would like someone to pray with you directly, we can do so while we're singing here. Come sit in the front. Someone from our prayer team will just come and pray with you, whether you want to share anything or not. They'll just pray with you. Or come find me or someone, one of our elders after the service and we would just love to pray with you if you could use that today so respond as you feel led to only what jesus is beckoning from you in a response but come humbly and boldly confidently because of what jesus has done without fear there is no division you are loved deeply there's elements there on those back tables sing about three songs and just respond to him and then we'll close this service and you'll be blessed. Let me just pray a blessing over us as we seek to engage with these powerful promises and apply them that we might be changed. God, Father, thank you for what you have done. First, for who you are, 
for reminding us today. We need that. You've given us your word, but thank you for this time and this space that our eyes might be opened, our heart might be opened a little bit more as we come to see the mystery of of who you are and what you've done. Thank you, God, that there is so much more than we could ever come to comprehend and know about you because you're that great. You're that holy. You're so much other. We love that. It gives us an eternal pursuit to daily know something more of you and be drawn to worship. Humble us, Lord, but may we also come boldly because you have invited us to come boldly through the blood of Christ. The curtain has been torn Today, this place can be the holy of holies because you dwell with us through your spirit. We praise you. We thank you. Now, do the work in our hearts that would make us leave this place changed, maybe convicted, but also encouraged that there is hope, that there is life, that there is peace, and that there is freedom because of what you have done and now what you are inviting us into. Be glorified and move as you will. Lead us to respond, we pray. Amen.